Fact is you saw what I looked like and you didn't like it and you followed me and you wanted to give me a ticket, period. But every traffic stop is not a traffic stop. It's a matter of life and death. Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Lenses Podcast. Today in is such an important episode in my mind. Um, I, I think that you'll find it the same. In light of recent events and and the uh, the, the mass protesting that has been going on, um, which uh, I myself have been able to be a part of here in in Spokane, Washington. Um, I, um, I had the opportunity to interview my, my very close friend, Ursula Lovely. Uh, Ursula is a single black woman, uh, living in Portland, Oregon. And, uh, and by her own definition, uh, she has a, she had a somewhat sheltered upbringing. Her, her dad in particular, her parents, but her dad in particular worked, worked very, very hard to shield her from some of the mo- more aggressive and overt uh, acts of racism that that he grew up with in particular, uh, or that her parents grew up with in particular, and so um, so they uh, they they worked very hard to uh, to carve out a life that uh, that was that was insulated as much as could be from that. Now. What you will hear is uh, Ursula will describe uh, what her experience was in the midst of that. And, and I just have to tell you, I, I, I sat here so many times listening to her just going, my God, this was an insulated experience, right? Uh, this, is what it, this is what it looks like to grow up black and, and be somewhat shielded from from what your peers or or, or uh, her you know family members you know cousins that sort of thing experience themselves, um, it was uh, it was truly shocking at times for me, um, and uh, I I admit that openly and at the same time I am uh, I, I'm dealing with I'm just very honest I'm dealing with a, a lot of white shame in that I that I didn't realize that earlier. Um, so I know that that white shame doesn't, uh, doesn't help anyone though. So uh, I'm not going to sit in that. Um, that's, uh, that's part of the reason why I am so, um, I'm so passionate about this podcast period, but in particular, and especially, uh, especially today, my conversation with, with Ursula, because I just think there is, there's so much that we can learn from, uh, having a glimpse at life through her lenses. Um, so I'm not going to ask you to enjoy today's episode. Um, I'm going to ask you to sit with the discomfort that it causes. And, and I am going to hope that it brings about um, a desire for your own change. So here we go with my good friend, Ursula Lovely. All right, so Urs, we're we're finally we're finally here. <laughs> we finally recording. We've been chatting for a little bit, but it's time to hit record. Yeah. <laughs> so so just for everybody out there, this is this is my very good friend Ursula Lovely. Um, Hello. 
we have uh, we have been friends for crying out loud. It's it's over a decade now. Yeah, like the the first time that that you came out with the the group to Donnelly Bible Church on that on the the mission trip, uh, bringing all those kids out from Clackamas. Um, I I got it seriously. I think it was like twelve years ago now, because I think you were on the first year we were there. Yeah, so yeah, and for some reason. Well, not for some reason. I know why for us. I don't know why on, on your end, but we just clicked immediately, right? <laughs> so our families clicked. And you you did like a little basketball camp that only my girls attended. <laughs> <laughs> just did. Yeah, yeah. Just did. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, and then, and that just made them fall in love with you. And it's just, it's been over since then. You've been family. We were talking about that just a minute ago, how, um, how we're just like, we're like family. So, uh, we think of you that way. Um, we love, we love to think that you think of us that way. <laughs> Can't get rid of me. Yeah. And you've been through a lot of life with us. You, yeah. you know more about us than a lot of people know about us. So anyway, um, so I'm really excited that, uh, that you agreed to, to be on my new podcast here today. Um, and, and, you know, in particular, we're going to be talking about about your life as a as a single black woman, right? And uh, um, and you know, and and I, I said this to you, you know, I, I said this earlier too that uh, um, you know you're you're my black friend, right? <laughs> White people love to say that, you know. Oh yeah, I got a I got a black friend, you know. <laughs> and 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 that's that's you. And it's like, and I, and I say that out loud and I'm like, oh my God, I am one of those people. Right. (laughs) So, um, so anyway, this is, uh, this is about us just having a conversation, honestly, that I think is, is long overdue. Um, you know, we talked about that a little bit earlier too, that, um, that we, you know, 12 years we've known each other and we have never really just delved into this. Um, and yeah, so I mean, there's never, like I said, there's never really been a need to dive into it with us because it is, you know, we're just family. That's how we see each other. I don't see, we don't see color. It's just you, it's just Casey. It's just Jess. There's never been an issue with us. But the world has been going through a little bit of something and I, you know, not talking about coronavirus, although that's probably amped a few things for a, a few people, but there's been a lot of things that, um, that have been coming to a head and a lot of race issues that have been really rising to the surface and, and, and that sort of thing. And I, and I just, you know, I think that, um, I know you have a perspective that I need to hear. And that's why I asked you if, if you, if we could just talk. Um, and so, so to start off with, um, I'd love it if you would just, uh, just take a little bit of time and kind of, and, and talk about your upbringing and, um, and talk about your, you know, your, your life growing up and, um, kind of, you know, whatever, however quick of a version you want to make it and, <laughs> or long of a version. There's really, there's no time limits on this. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so I guess I was born in Gary, Indiana, um, but we moved from there when I was young, so I don't have a lot of memories from there. Um, all of my immediate family, for the most part, is still over there. The only people that are out in the Pacific North- Northwest are my parents and my my sister and my younger brother. Right. 
Um, but we moved from there to California, grew up in uh, Buena Park, Orange County area. Hmm. So basically suburban, middle-class, <laughs> white, Hispanic, suburban area. Um, so I, I didn't really, you know, my dad did everything he could to keep us in good areas. So hmm. I didn't really experience much um, issues in regards to race until after I left there. Um, mm. you know, I, all of my friends, I mean, I had a mixture of friends, you know, my school, my high school for the most part was predominantly white. We had a handful of black folks there. Um, of course we all kind of clicked together, but you know, I was involved in a lot of things at school. So I had a mixture of friends. Um, it's funny that you said <clears throat> your token. I think I had a lot of, I was a lot of tokens. Like I was a lot of people's token. Um, I didn't say token, but oh my God, I (laughs) heard it, didn't I? (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) But, um, but I mean, I had, I had some really good friends in high school and nobody ever, like we never had an issue in regards Mm. to race. Um, anyway, I left California and came out to Oregon, Portland, um, to play basketball for school. And I think, you know, when I look look back at things, it's kind of Oregon is where I started having a lot of the the at least a lot of the issues that I've encountered. Now, I will say that there were a couple times in you know in high school that I, you know, I went to a restaurant, fast food places, and and wouldn't I wouldn't be served. Um, I even on For the real, other end, in Orange yeah. County, California. Yeah, not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I even got a little bit of, uh, I guess you would call, at least I call it reverse racism because I was a black, not in the neighborhood, like not living in the hood. Mm. And so when I was around other black folks, I didn't talk the slang. I didn't have, you know, um, just that. I mean, for lack of better yeah. term, ghetto feel, um, I was considered an Oreo cookie. Mm. So, so does that you you? I mean, I hear a lot about like black identity. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that is that what you're talking about? That your dad kind of tried to, to to do for you guys, or or was that? No, my dad always. A, my dad was always he was. Um, I always knew I was black, understood I was black, understood what what it meant to be black. That wasn't, that was never, you know, my dad not trying to say, okay, well this, you're black, but we want this. Like, you don't need to act that way. That's not anything that my dad did. It was mainly with my dad was just trying to give us every opportunity we could possibly have to do better Hmm. in our lives there were different opportunities provided for us going to certain schools as opposed to going to schools in the LA area or, you know, the Compton area. Um, but not only that, it's just like, I mean, I didn't deal with drive-by shootings every night. Mm. You know, I didn't, I didn't deal with gangs. Uh, um, there were Hispanic gangs out there, but I was into my own thing and I was an athlete. So they knew basically to leave me alone. Got it. You know, so I didn't have that type of experience. And that's what my dad wanted to keep us away from. 
Um, but, you know, I, I understood who I was as a black female. Mm. Um, it was just my dad wanted us to have every, you know, opportunity educational wise, athletic wise, um, and then basically just being safe. Mm. You don't have to yeah. worry about yeah. bars on the window, you know, walking home from school. I walked home and rode my bike home from school every day and no, I never had one problem. Mm. Now, your dad, I, I'm assuming, just because that's, I don't know, because I, I shouldn't, but I'm assuming that your dad didn't grow up in that same kind of way. Did did he grow up in a in an in more of a uh, a difficult environment, and that's why he was so set on on protecting you guys? Or yeah, so my dad and my mom were actually they both grew up in that environment. Um, I still have family in that environment. Um, you know, um, my dad my dad is from you know the Mississippi area. My mom okay. My dad's from Gary. My mom is from the Mississippi area. Um, my mom's sister who just, you know, passed not too long ago, you know, Gary is not a good place to be. Hmm. It's just not a good place to be. Um, you know, she'd drive home from work and people would jump in her car if the door wasn't locked. It's just not a safe place. Hmm. Um, the projects in Gary, you know, the police don't even go there after dark. Hmm. You know, she had a heart attack. The ambulance wouldn't even come her friend had to take her to the hospital. It's just not a safe environment. So my dad saw a lot growing up, you know, my mom saw a lot growing up and they just didn't want that for any of us. Yeah. Um, California was, you know, where we were anyway. Uh, it was, it was good until a little bit later. Now I was already gone and my brother started actually having problems and my parents moved from there. Okay. So they just, did everything they could to give each one of their kids, you know, the best opportunity to succeed. Hmm. Um, so now they're all in Washington. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes. The safest place for, right? for well, any, any, people of any color. <laughs> right. Well, it's funny because they moved from um, La Palma, California, no Kwame. <laughs> Yeah, we get got it, got it. We're driving in the Snoqualmie and literally there's like one blinking stoplight. You know, there's one restaurant, you know, there's a black cop there. And <laughs> the first thing he did when he saw us was raise a fist. <laughs> so it's like, it's, 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 it's a, it was a very, very diff, fast difference from where we, where I grew up. My okay. So struggled. sorry. No, it's all good preface with a, a stupid ignorant question here <laughs> raising the fist is that yeah. is that just a a greeting or is there a specific black power signal that, that's what i was wondering yeah yeah. Okay. yeah i mean he was happy to see us <laughs> yeah yeah you know he was he was alone there yes yeah yes so they actually ended up we became pretty good friends <laughs> got it got it um, but yeah i mean my dad just went out of his way to make sure that we had every opportunity to succeed. Yeah. So then you say that things change. Now, it, your family moves to Washington. You end up in Oregon, though. So, yeah, I left before that. So I came out here to go to school, um, went to college at University of Portland. And, uh, you know, I had a, a wide variety of friends there as well. UP, again, um, had a small 
handful of us there, hmm. us meaning black folks. It's predominantly white school, um, Catholic. And, uh, you know, most of the black people there were there to play a sport. Got it. So if you weren't playing a sport, you didn't go there. But it was a great education, you know. Um, my friends were multicultural, um, a lot of Hawaiians there. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I started to experience, you know, the the shopping while black and the walking while black and the driving while black. Okay. Ignorant questions. What does that mean? So basically you walk into a store and you're followed because the first thing that people think you're going to do is steal. And that, that didn't, you didn't experience that in California. No, I really didn't honestly, because I mean, I was pretty focused there. I didn't really, I mean, I went to school and yeah, I think, it's my high school. Yeah. So I didn't do a whole bunch of that. And I'm sure it probably happened. I was just oblivious to it because I wasn't, I wasn't looking for it. And I was with my parents. So they probably saw it, but okay. it wasn't something that they would bring to my attention. But you get to Portland, you walk into a store and immediately you've got an escort. Yeah. And of course they think they don't know that you don't notice them. Some people don't even care if you know that they're, that you're, they're following you. That uh, that you know that they're following you, but yeah, um, I have you're walking around doing your shopping, and you've got eyes on you. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think, and I'm like, I can't think of a single instance in my lifetime when I've ever experienced that. That's the privilege. That's the privilege. You know, being pulled over, being pulled over because you're driving a vehicle that you don't look like you should be driving. Okay, but how, how does that get said? Oh, I mean, it's always something that's made up. Or you didn't stop. You you didn't use your turn signal. Like, my turn signal was on. Like, I just pulled out of the driveway. My turn signal was on. What are you talking about? But you can't argue with them, at least not now. Um, you know, and I actually lived in, um, a city called Lake Oswego, Oregon, very affluent neighborhood. This is after college, but, um, you know, a lot of professional athletes live there. Um, it's a very, very wealthy area. Um, but it has a nickname. It's not, the the actual name is called Lake Oswego, Oregon, but the nickname, and this has been documented in a newspaper, is Lake No Negro. Oh my God. Um, And in two two instances, while I was living there, I was stopped Mm. for no apparent reason, other than the fact that I was black. And actually one time I was stopped there, it was raining outside. The windows were a little, you know, you know, on the inside that gets that little frost on there. So sure. it's not fully defrosted, but you're driving anyway. and Everything's fine. I'm driving one way. A cop is driving completely the opposite way. Looks at me, makes a U-turn, pulls me over. 
And he says it's because I didn't have my seatbelt on. There's no way he saw. I had my seatbelt on. Yeah. But there was no way he could tell in the speed that we were going that I didn't have a seatbelt on. Right. So right. it's just stuff like that. Um, now, me, I would, I would say something. Like, cop tells me something like that. I'd be like, bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, you respond how? Today? Today, the response is different from what it would have been back then. Back then, I would have lipped off. Um, you know? And told him, there's no way in hell you saw whether or not I had my seatbelt on. We were going too fast. My window was not completely clear. You know? Fact is, you saw what I looked like and you didn't like it and you followed me and you wanted to give me a ticket, period. But not today. Can't do that today. Um, you can, but every traffic stop is not a traffic stop. It's a matter of life and death. you're telling you're telling me in like i i i hear stories of of that and i look at the stories and god help me i think eh, you're dressing a little thuggish you know that so let me, let me ask you something you have on a hoodie right now okay you can go in certain areas and walk down the street with that hoodie and not have one issue i can walk down the street in a hoodie with the hood on and get stopped in my own neighborhood. Why? Because I have a hoodie on, because I look suspicious. It's just that, it's that blatant. I look suspicious. It's a hoodie, it's a sweatshirt. And you're telling me that you haven't even dealt with a lot of the the racism that you know that other people have. Oh man. You were protected from a lot of it. Not a tenth of it, yeah. Yeah. I was buffered from it. My dad, my dad did an amazing job of trying to make sure that we reached a certain age and that we were given every opportunity that the white kids around us were getting. Hmm. So, yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't even, you know, I haven't received a tenth of it. But what I have received and what I watch every day pisses me off and it makes me angry to a point where I got my concealed carry permit. Yeah. I don't go to the gas station without my, my piece. I don't go to the grocery store without my piece. So when that's you sad. when you say it's a matter of life and death, that's not just, you're not just being inflammatory. No. Like you look at it like, like I could really die. Yeah, and I record. If I'm stopped, I hit record. Yeah, he might be recording, but you don't know if that record, that that video comes to light. So I record. You know, and I'm not saying that every, you know, I'm not saying that every cop is bad. You know, I, I don't think that every white person is racist, but I think that when people don't stand up to it, when the good ones don't stand up to the people that are doing that. It's just as bad. And nothing gets solved. 
what is that what does that mean to you like to say to stand up to it like like when you see when you see you know when you see videos of black people getting beat down by cops and other cops standing there watching it and not stopping it mm. that's not okay you're just as bad as the people that are beating them down it's hard too and i understand it because you know, you're putting your life on the line as a police officer every day. You need to have those people back you up. So crossing that line and saying that's not right, you're putting your life in jeopardy. Hmm. But every day I walk out of the house to go to the store, I put mine in jeopardy. You know, that's not right. And until people start standing up to it and stopping it, and saying this is not, this is not okay. You know, it's not going to change, and in fact, it's going to get worse because I honestly believe that people are going to start fighting back. Hmm. You know, uh, when when you have police officers that are afraid, you know, of how a person looks, and they're fearful for their own life based off of how a person looks. That officer shouldn't be in that area protecting and serving those people. Mm. You know, if you're afraid, if I'm a firefighter and I'm afraid of fire, I shouldn't go in. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just, it it blows my mind that you you have certain officers that, you know, get triggered or just off the fact that you're black and you have a hoodie, and they get nervous and are fearful for their life, but yet you're in their neighborhood. You're in my neighborhood. You're in a predominantly black neighborhood. Like, how are you supposed to protect and serve when you're afraid of me? Hmm. You know, I mean. Why do you, why do you think that is? Why do you, is it, is there something that's behind it? I mean, is it, it, or like, is it just, is it racism that, that causes, you know, a, a white cop or a white person to be afraid of a black person just simply because they're black? Yeah. Uh, you know, is, I don't, or is it I don't something think, else? I think it's something else, uh, altogether because there are black cops that are racist. I'm not, I'm not of the camp where you can't say that white or that black folks can't be racist. I've seen it. I've listened to it. You know, um, I, I think as we started talking before, it's it's a matter of good and evil. I mean, I think that, mm. you know, there are just people who have hate in their heart. doesn't matter what color you are. They just have hate in their heart. And when you're given a gun and a badge and you're not held accountable, then it's okay for you to, to speed that hate in any direction. Um you know, there's, there's been several times and, and I, you know, the, the white on black crime has been magnified lately. And I think there's reasons for that <clears throat> to make the divide bigger. It's there's intentional. Several, it's intentional, very intentional, very, very intentional. The media does a great job. It's not just on on the news. It's on every 
platform you can possibly look at. To um, what I, end? To what I, I mean? I had to stop watching. I had to stop scrolling because it just I could feel the fest everything it festered, and I was just getting angry and angrier and angrier. Um, you know, I don't I don't really know. <laughs> and can't pinpoint, pinpoint why it is, um, it's, just, it's just overall sad. I don't know. So, you know, we have, you know, I've heard you say for a while now that you've been becoming increasingly more and more angry mm-hmm. as um, as like these blatant crimes are coming out, and mm-hmm. um, and and where you're, we we're not seeing justice served. We're we're seeing people get away with murder. Uh, mm-hmm. White people get away with murdering black people. Um, mm-hmm. That, like, I totally, like, I totally see that. I totally get that. I see you, I see you responding to that. I I understand you responding to that. Um, I, I respond to it and I'm going, if I'm responding to it, I can't even, I can't even imagine how you're responding, how it's affecting you, right? Yeah. Um, Is, is this kind of like your, is this your focal point right now when you when you're looking at the the racial injustices or do you see any um do you see a rise in the microaggressions too like you're saying do you you know like you said you know uh, the shopping while black and you know um in you know I'm not going to say in your workplace cuz I know you've talked about how great your workplace is but but you know in you know, you're, you're amongst a lot of people that you don't work with when you, when you go into your office building every day, you know, that, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Do you, do you, are you seeing a correlating rise in like these microaggressions too, and how people look at you sideways or whatever else? Yeah, yeah. Because when, when someone can get away with murder, mm. then it's basically giving the other people who were afraid to say anything before the okay to step out and act the way they want to act. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's like when someone can actually get away with murder, then it's okay for Karen over here to spew her hate at you. Hmm. Even if it's verbal and just spew her hate at you because it's okay. If, if it's being okay up here, then it'll just trickle down. And then everybody underneath, all the top dogs up here, has carte blanche to just go out and do what they want and get away with it. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's been happening. You know, uh, I mean, I mean, I guess we can talk about it, but like when you look at the things that have been happening with the police, you know, and then you turn around, okay, Gregory McMichael and his son or whatever, the dad's name, George, whatever, decide they're going to chase him. They're not, they weren't 
they used to be cops, but they're not cops anymore. So how do they have a right to actually chase anybody down and arrest them? You know, if, if you see a crime being committed or you suspect a crime being committed, what's the first thing you should do? Yeah. I say dial nine one one. Yeah. Pick up the phone and call a cop, not, Oh, Hey, go get, let's go get our pistols and chase them down. You know, let's go confront him with our guns. Like, they felt as if it was okay for them to do because everything else that had happened before that, you know, and for a while it was okay for them to do. Cause it went what three months before they even got arrested, you know, and one of them still hasn't been arrested hmm. and he's the one that videotaped it. The video was actually a span of four minutes long. You only saw, I think between 20 seconds and 30 seconds of it, but they followed him for almost four minutes. So you can't tell me that guy who videotaped it wasn't a part of it. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's a trickle down effect. Where where is this all headed? Yeah, that I don't know, man. It's not a good place if things don't change. People are legitimately getting fed up. People can't sit in their living rooms and watch TV eat a bowl of cereal and get shot dead. Can't play video games with a kid at two o'clock in the morning. You hear a noise in the backyard. You get the pistol that you legally have to protect your home and get shot dead in your home by a cop. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a gun owner. I'm licensed. I'm legal. If I hear somebody rummaging around it, and I live alone, I'm a, I'm a female that lives alone. First thing I'm gonna do is grab my pistol. You know? Mm. If, and then for a cop to not announce himself and then just shoot through the window in your own home. There's, God, there's like, like no- I know, I know no, this no, is- There's no answer. Like I, I don't have an answer as to where we go from here. Um, how do we solve it? I don't know how we solve it. Um, I think there, I think one of the first things that has to be done is that people have to acknowledge that there's a problem. Usually when something happens, the first thing they look to do is to criminalize the victim. Why did she have a gun? Or why did he grab the gun? Right. If I was pointing a gun at you out of nowhere, you'd grab it too. You wouldn't just, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, you must have came at me aggressively. Well, why did you get in your car and follow me? Yeah. Right? So it's the first thing that the first thing that has to be done is, is hold the people accountable that that actually committed the crime and not try to, you know, criminalize the victim. Especially the people that that, that literally have done nothing. Man, I've seen videos where you have an angry white man coming out of cop with a machete. Yeah. They don't even get tased. They don't even get tased. Yeah, we, we I have firsthand experience with that when Jess and I were were with some friends at a bar late one night. And all of a sudden everybody moves from the front of the bar to the back of the bar and they're like, everybody get away from the windows. And there was some guy wielding a machete out in the the front and he comes there's like this little vestibule before you walk into the the bar and he was in there with the machete 
There must have been 25, 30 Spokane cops that showed up. He didn't even get beanbagged. Yeah. They tried to talk him down. Yeah. Yeah. That has, that has stuck with me. Yeah. Like we don't get that. We don't get that privilege. Isn't that funny? You got a man with a knife threatening police officer. I'm assuming he's white. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he still was. got that white privilege. Yeah. We don't have or, that. Or the, the photos and videos that have been coming up of the, the dudes that, that want to reopen the country again. And they're standing with their, you know, their flak jackets on and their semi automatic rifles um, on like county, you know, county courthouse steps. Places you aren't supposed to have those type of those type of pistols or those type of weapons. Yeah. If you take the concealed course, you're not supposed to have them there. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's out of control, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> so there's this whole thing of of white fragility. Um, the best I can understand it is that you talk this way and I start feeling defensive because that's not me. I didn't do that. I didn't do that to you, Urs. I'm not those cops, right? If it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, you know, and, and, and trying to distance myself from all of that. Um, I, I have, I've actually, I've, I've struggled with this a good bit because again, just simply because growing up in, you know, Eastern Oregon, Western Idaho, you know, where I, I probably within my entire high school career, you know, middle school, all the way, grade school, all the way through high school career, I probably knew of two, maybe three black kids in the entire school. Mm-hmm. That was, that was it. And so, so I hear about, you know, black race relation issues and, 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 you know, uh, all the things that you're talking about, you know, shopping while black and driving while black and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, I wasn't even around black people. I, I, I got nothing. I mean, I, I wasn't a part of that system at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm, and I'm recognizing now that that's, that that is exactly what white fragility is. It's that, mm-hmm. it's that I don't have any culpability in it. Therefore I don't have any responsibility in it either. Yeah. And I, and I'm, I'm beginning to come to terms with that. It, it's, it's a stupidly painful process of because it's it's taking much longer than I want it to. But I'm 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 slowly coming to terms with that. My big question now is how how do I be, or how do people with my set of lenses again white, you know, for this in this instance, white dudes, right? How can we be appropriate allies and advocates for the black community without um, without stepping into white saviorism, right? Like, like we're going to come in, we're going to rescue you from yourselves. We're going to, we're going to step in and we're going to fix all this problem because we're going to, 
you know, whatever. That's, 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 that's part of it right there is, is uh, you, you rescue you from yourselves. We don't need the rescuing. The problem is yeah, not. I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I said that intentionally, but all yeah, yeah. of a sudden I'm, I'm feeling the fragility all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the problem is, oh, the, the problem is not with us. The problem is with the way that people look at us. Right. You know, so, so that's, I, I don't know, man. I mean, it's like. Is there, is there a role for us to be allies and advocates or, yes, or you, really, you, do we need to really, truly shut the fuck up? No, and, because and if you if you shut if you shut the fuck up like that, it's like taking the side of the oppressor. It's saying that what's happening is okay. When you're silent, when you see an injustice happen and you just let it happen, you're just as bad as the person committing the injustice. If you know it's wrong, you have to step up to it. A lot of people are afraid, especially in today's society. If you step up to something, then you're putting your own self at risk. But, you know, um, I'm constantly reminded we don't fight against flesh and blood. Okay. And for me, it's, you know, greater love hath no man to give them life for a friend, right? Mm. If I see something happening, I need to address it. And if that puts me in the middle or in between the person being oppressed, it puts me in between. It gives them a buffer. And yeah, I'm putting myself at risk, but at least I'm making a stand and I'm saying, this is not right. Mm. Jesus put himself between us and God. You know, I mean, it's, I, I struggle at times to remember that that he's the bridge. And I struggle at times when I just get angry and I want to go flesh on flesh. Hmm. And then I get pulled back and, and I'm like, okay, it's not, it's just, it's just evil. It's good and evil. And I have to remember that I struggle. I struggle, I struggle with it. You know, um, I give into it sometimes, you know, but it's, you know, especially for me as a child of God, you know, I have to, Vengeance be the Lord, you know, let him have it and just try my best to do everything I can within my own power, you know, to try to be that buffer. And, and I would say the same for, for you. And I get, if you see it happening, you, you know, and I already know you as a person, but I'm saying you, people like you, like if you see it happening, you know, be the buffer, step in between. You know, you can't just watch it happen and, and, and think that, oh, man, that was that was bad and then not do anything about it, because then you're just as bad as what just happened. Unintentional, but yeah. yeah. This is this is for me a, a big question. Um, I, I live in an area where there aren't that still there aren't that many black people. There there aren't that many black people in Spokane. Um, and so I still 
like I live my life with this idea that I would love to have more black friends because, um, because what I tell myself, and I think, I think this is true. I want to believe this is true because I want a much more rounded, um, community. I, I want, I want more influence in my community. I, I'm, I'm drowning in white. I mean, it's just, it's the only perspective I ever hear. Um, said, I hope that's true for a reason. <laughs> um, but I live in an area now where there aren't that, that many black people. And I, I generally don't come into contact. I, I can go weeks without running into a black person, much yeah. less being in a, in any kind of, you know, any kind of uh, communal sense that, that we, there could actually be a friendship that would be struck up. Yeah. And so then I think, so, so then I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be an ally. I'm going to be an advocate. I'm going to stand up when I see things, you know, happening, like you're saying, I'm going to stand against injustice. And it's like me lobbing my advocacy from, you know, from here to across the state, you know, at, at what point, just your opinion, that's it. At what point is there a responsibility on me as someone who, who, who truly, I do want to be an ally. I want to be, and not, and not just for, for the black community. I want to be an ally for, because there's oppression all over the place that I, I right. see too, right? Um, yeah. At what point is there a responsibility on me to relocate into areas where I can actually be in community with people that I see suffering. Well, um, and again, just your opinion. <laughs> yeah. Are you talking about like relocate as in move or? Yeah. Why not? I mean, I, again, if I, if I say that I, that I care about the injustice that is, that I see happening and it's, and that it's, it angers me to see these videos popping up on Facebook. Is it enough for me to call out on social media? Cause that feels like bullshit. It just feels like yeah. I, I hate social media. So it, it, is that enough for now? Cause this is where I live, you know? Yeah. I mean, outside of, outside of getting up and moving to, oh gosh, I don't even know where you moved to over there. I don't know the the divide over there. Um, and I, I don't think it's necessarily what needs to happen. You actually moving. I mean, there there's got to be some sort of organizations in the area. I mean, I don't know what what the I don't know what Spokane is. You know, populated by mainly. Um, My, you know, I I've never even looked, Urs. Yeah. Oh my God. I've, I've never even looked. I don't know. Um, I mean, there's gotta be you know, <laughs> community centers somewhere. I mean, I would, I mean, you're good with kids, man. So I would get involved with kids somewhere. Um, because that's where it starts at this point anyway. Uh, right now, the generation that's growing up is seeing all this stuff happening and it's just making them angry. And so it's not going to do anything but get worse unless people can actually get to the kids. There's got to be some sort of organizations in the area 
that you might be able to reach out to and maybe volunteer in. I don't know. Um, I don't necessarily see it as, you know, hey, uh, white savior coming in and going to help you. But like just it's a human thing, man. You 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 care about people. It's just going and loving people. Uh, I think that's that's the main issue. The people they just they don't they don't love people. They only love a certain people group. Yeah. Until people can get past that, it's, it's not it's not. I mean, it's it's being portrayed as a white black thing. There's there's black on black crime. There's white on white crime. There's Asian. There's Hispanic. There's everything. There's there's oppression everywhere, but it's literally just loving people. Hmm. Uh, if you can get to that point, then things can start to change. But like, there's no difference between us. There's no difference. You ever you bleed red, I bleed red. Hmm. There's no difference. It's just what's in people's hearts. Do you you've talked a lot about how angry you are right now do you is there is there any sense of hope right now or is it is is it just a hard is it is it hard days right now i have good days i have bad days you know i get i think i get more angry when i literally feel like i can't just go to the gas station or go to the grocery store without fearing or without taking my peace with me. You know, I shouldn't have to be made to feel like I have to have protection with me when I walk out of the front door just to go to the grocery store. I shouldn't be anxious driving my car. This morning I went to the store and cop made a U-turn. He was behind me. It's just like, okay, well, are you pulling me over? What are you pulling me over for? Like, I shouldn't have to, you know, have that, that extra sense of anxiousness mm. Um, especially when I know I did nothing. It's like, okay, why is he behind me? Like, and, and he kept going. He didn't pull me over. He didn't bother me. But that was the first thing through my mind. I'm like, oh, crap, have peace with me. Okay, if he pulls me over, put your hands on the dashboard, put the window down, give him your license, give him your concealed carry permit. You know, those things run through your head. Like, okay, he's getting out. Make sure you can see your hands. Yeah. You know, um, so you run down the whole scenario before he even gets to your window. I should, I should, I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't be made to feel unsafe in my own home. Mm. But, you know, and I live in a, I live in a pretty, you know, decent area. Um, as far as, you know, I'm, I'm in a suburb. I'm in a, I'm in a, you know, a suburb. I'm not in the, like a Swigo anymore. <laughs> yeah. Don't look no Negro anymore, but I'm in a, I'm in a suburb and I feel like the area is good, but you just don't ever know. Yeah. Especially today. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have hope. I just, like I say, I, I, sometimes I give in to my flesh <laughs> and I get angry and I just want to fight back. Mm. Um, then I, get brought back down to earth mm. so i could pull back in and i remember okay yeah it's a, it's a good evil thing it's not a not a human thing you know i think that i think there's always been this thing where i i not always there's been this thing recently where i understand you know the 
Um, I understand in theory the life and death nature, you know, of, of what you're talking about. And um, God, or it's just sitting here talking with you right now, it's just like it is just hammering into my skull how real that is. And I don't, I don't get that. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get how blind I have been. You know, I was talking with my, uh, with my wife and, and daughter the other day. This is, this is actually a, a couple months ago. And there was something that came across TV on a TV show about, um, you know, these guys catcalling this girl and, you know, making lewd comments and, mm-hmm. you know, and this girl like trying to get to her car as fast as she could because she was, you know, and I'm like, and I look at them and I'm like, is that really what it's like? You know, and, and they both look at me and they're like, oh my God, yes. And I'm like, I've been married for 25 years and my wife and I have never talked about that. You know, my, my daughter is 19 years old and I have never had that conversation with her. And, and I'm like, how, how have I been so blind to all of this? Well, so it's like this, like, you know, like the only reason you had the conversation is because you were watching a TV show with them. Right. And that happened. So you ask them, is this really like this? Well, the only reason that we're really having this conversation now is because everything that's taking place and it's being shoved in our faces over and over and over and over and over again. Right. It's so much. I mean, it's, uh, this, this has been a problem for a while. And I think it started to really become, you know, uh, to the forefront when Colin took a knee. Yeah. Okay. So when he took a knee, and then of course you had not my president deciding to, you know, blackball him and talk about the NFL until they actually booted him out. Um, and then you have all these people jumping on the bandwagon. And then the ball started rolling. It's been around, but because it was brought to the forefront by him taking a stand, and then you have the, the, two, the two sides. Well, now people are having the conversation. It wasn't being, it wasn't being talked about before. Mm. Things were just happening, but it really wasn't being talked about the way that it is because now it's being shoved in our face. It's being shoved in your face. That's why we're having the conversation. It's not really the fact that you're, I don't know, I wouldn't say that you're blind to it. It just wasn't happening in your vision. It wasn't happening in your vision. Mm. You know, it was happening over there. Yeah. Still happening over there, but now everyone is seeing it because of social media and the news. Well, you know, (laughs) thank you for soothing my white fragility right there, (laughs) right? (laughs) Thank you, the one who's suffering, for telling me it's okay. You know? No, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm saying that because one, I appreciate the fact that you're even taking, you know, uh, taking the time to think about these things and to look at these things and to want to change your, your view. Yeah. But God, Urs, I'm 45 years old. And I, and I think that's the, that's, what's hitting me in all of this too, is it's like, I'm, <laughs> 
I'm not interested in letting myself off the hook. Yeah. Because I can't let anyone else off the hook either. Right, right. And I'm, like I, it. I'm, not, I'm not I'm not saying that. No, I, yeah. Yeah. It's okay. It's not okay. I'm but just saying it is so fucking overdue. Yeah. It is so overdue. And I and I and I think I'm paralyzed sometimes because I don't know what the right thing to do is. And so I shout out on social media, like I said, and then I'm like, and it just feels empty, you know? And I'm like, and, I, and that's, I mean, again, it's, it's a large part why I'm doing this right now. And I don't know if this is going to go anywhere. I hope it does because. I mean, it doesn't. So here's the thing for me that with this, as long as it helps one person with your lens or with identical lenses you have, see a different viewpoint and get them to thinking, then it's done something, you know? Um, I, and, that's, and that's something, it has to start somewhere. Um, people have to start speaking up on it. They have to start talking about it because if they don't and they're just silent, it's just gonna keep rolling. The ball's gonna keep pick up speed. Um, so, I mean, I think this is good at least for that, you know, as if somebody yeah. else may, may hear something, something may strike them, you know, and they may realize that they, they think that way, you know, when they didn't intentionally mean to do that um, or realize that, oh, hey, I do that too. Oh, that's not good. Let me, let me work on that. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a good thing. Better late. Then never. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, I just want to say again um, how much we love you, how much we appreciate you, um, how important you are to us. Um, and and I think that uh, having you in our lives has kept a very real face to the sensational news articles, you know, and like you said, whatever attempts there are in the media to, you know, cause divides or, you know, swing things one way or the other, or whatever else it's like, you know, um, we, we, we know someone who is directly affected by the evil um, and, um, it also just, you know, and <laughs> it just points to, to how, how incredibly small our community is, you know? Um, and there's, uh, there's a need to, to start growing that. There's a need to start expanding that in, in all directions. Um, yeah. and that's. Again, I, I keep saying it, but that's a, a part of the reason why I started this is to to expand the community in all directions, to expand because there's there's all kinds of people who are suffering in different ways. Yeah. Because um because there has been a, a power structure in place that has allowed suffering to continue. And 
it's got to it's got to end. Um, I I want to be on the right side of history. I want to be on the right side of justice. Um, this is a start. Thanks for thanks for talking to me. I know I know you had mm-hmm. some serious hesitations about this conversation. Um, a little shaken. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, appreciate the opportunity, man. And and you know I love you guys. Um, yeah, you guys. You guys. I don't. I don't have a, a large circle myself. So, you know, you guys are you guys are in that. So I just appreciate I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yeah. This conversation with Ursula has challenged me so deeply and primarily in this way. It's not enough to change my thinking. God knows it had to start there. It has to start there. My thinking has to constantly be um, under scrutiny. But if if that does not translate into action, then it is pointless. It is pointless for me to acknowledge racism that exists it is pointless for me to acknowledge that black people don't have the same rights and privileges or even freedoms that I do. It is pointless for me to believe that violence against black people has to stop. It's pointless to just believe all of that and then not to follow it up with some action on on my part and the and the one thing that that earth said that just is like a like it just pierces my soul is that i have to be someone who uses my privilege to stand between to stand between the oppressor and the oppressed so whether that is systems of oppression whether that's individuals who are oppressing, um, whatever that may look like. When I have the opportunity to stand between the oppressor and the oppressed, if I do not rise up to that and take that opportunity to stand between, then I am just as guilty. Let that sink in for a little while. Our guilt runs deep because of that reason and that reason alone if nothing else thank you for listening to this conversation today i really hope that you were as challenged as i was by it um and i'm going to challenge you again to never ever stop trying to see through others lenses 